Tonight's program is brought to you by the China Hockey League. The CHG is a family-oriented group of ice hockey leagues, training programs, and community initiatives geared at developing ice hockey in Hong Kong and southern China. Established in 2011, the CHG is comprised of various programs for players of all levels. From the exceptional Junior Tigers program, the HKBN Idol League, the Learn to Play and Learn to Skate programs, all the way up to their adult leagues, which include the SCIHL, for those looking for a fun recreational experience, and the CIHL, which is the only elite full contact adult hockey league. If you're looking for some hockey equipment, or if you even need your skates sharpened, stop by the CHG showroom in Central, an exclusive reseller of Warrior and Power equipment. For more information about their programs, check out their website at ChinaHockeyGroup.com. That's ChinaHockeyGroup.com. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to Across the Pond Hockey Talks Volume 51. I'm back with the great Terry Whalen to finish up our talk about the Olympics. Terry, very excited to talk to you again today to learn some more crazy facts about the history of the Winter Olympics and what better time yeah, to do it yeah. than during the Winter Olympics. So let's see. Let's see what during you got for us Olympics. today. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks very much, Lad. Always a pleasure. And uh, just off the top, I'm, uh, I'm not angry at you for, uh, for missing Paul's uh, trivia question about the Olympics. You're uh, dude, you're one for 20. You're one for 27. I know. Yeah, you know, if 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 Max, you were rolling in around 50, 60%, then then maybe I'd be a little disappointed. Well, expectations are low, I know, but I, I figured you'd be pretty <laughs> disappointed in me on that one, Terry. <laughs> no, I, don't worry at all. Pay attention this time, okay? I'll do my best. All right. I, uh, what do you yeah. What do you got for us, bud? Yeah, well, and again, when uh, when we last left our story, Chris, it was 1968. And Team Canada had just earned a bronze medal at the 10th Winter Olympic Games in Grenoble, France. In 1969, Hockey Canada was established, an umbrella organization with government support. It went about trying to meet IIHF and IOC standards of athlete participation halfway. And initially, there was some progress. Canada was set to host the World Championships for the first time in 1970, with games to be played in Winnipeg and Montreal. And the IIHF agreed to allow Canada to use nine non-NHL pros. After almost winning the 1969 Izvestia tourney in Moscow with five pros, the IIHF IOC didn't about face and said any Canadian amateur playing with pros would lose their amateur status. This was the final straw for Canada, and they withdrew from all international ice hockey competitions. This meant Canada did not send a team to the 1972 Winter Games in Sapporo, Japan, nor the 1976 Winter Olympics at Innsbruck, Austria. Canada also did not play in any IIHF events from 1970 to 1976, and have still only hosted that event once back in 2008 when it was split between Halifax and Quebec City. Um, I guess, Chris, the proper decision. At the time, in the in the face of, as we said, of of shamateurs, I uh, you were upset last time when uh, when we left this topic. I was very upset. Are, are, you, are we going to get into that rule change every single Olympics again, or are we going to have a little more? <laughs> there's there, there's some of it coming. Yes, maybe not quite as much. Yeah. So uh, 
was it a proper decision at the time? I think you're right. It probably was, Terry. I mean, changes had to be made and they had to make a stand, I guess, and they did. Yeah, and and uh, there'll be some uh, some numbers, some uh, instances, some examples coming up where you'll see uh, how how unfair, uh, you know, how uh, the uh, at, at what disadvantage our guys were playing. Right, and what was that one big problem? Well, again, the biggest problem, Chris, is is with all international experience, it's it's invaluable to development. Now, participating without winning is frustrating, but it's still useful. If only there was a way to finally have our best play and beat their best, then we could continue to compete internationally, securing the knowledge that even if we lose a game or a tournament, well, the boys we sent were good and getting better, but there was also the matter of bragging rights, rankings, and international hockey reputation. Thus, the Summit Series was born. Played in September 1972, it's a conversation unto itself. But I will share one statistic here that will help show the Olympic histories of the two countries up to this point. That Soviet team had 13 players that had won the gold medal at the Sapporo Olympics earlier that year and seven players who had won gold at Grenoble in 1968. Not one player from Team Canada had any international experience. And I think that really says it all right there, Chris. Well, it's very surprising that they were actually be able to be so successful without having that time to gel as a team and play together and, and gain that experience. So very, very surprising. But I think we all know uh, what the, uh, you know, the biggest advantages Canada had in that in that series. Uh, and it, sure. it wasn't I don't think the advantage they had was that they were a cohesive group. I think they were. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later. But, yeah, the advantages that they had were. Definitely not because of, you know, playing together or not playing together leading up to the to the event. And again, this will be, as we see going forward, a continual uh, challenge for uh, for the Canadian teams, even when we get into the modern era of the uh, of the NHL All-Stars. Right. So did what they do? Did it work? Did anything change because of this? Uh, not one bit. Um, <laughs> Canada continued. Yeah, Canada continued not to send teams, and the USSR continued to dominate. They won their fourth straight gold at the Olympics at Innsbruck. However, Sweden, Norway, and surprisingly enough, East Germany joined Canada's protest by not sending teams to the 1976 Olympics, and that got the IIHF's attention, who said the 1977 World Championships would be open to professionals. To add to the pressure on the IOC, Alan Eagleson organized the 1976 Canada Cup, which ended our six-year boycott of IIHF events. The six best hockey nations, Canada, the US, the USSR, Sweden, Czechoslovakia, and Finland, sent teams to the first all-pro-on-pro tourney. Canada beat Czechoslovakia 6-0 in 5-4 in the best of three final. The USSR sent a weaker team because of internal politics and the chance that some players might defect. Canada did send a team of NHLers to the 1977 World Championships, but they were handicapped by a situation that remains to this day. The tournament is in spring, and the only players who, uh, uh, who could participate were those who had been eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs. So they had no time to mesh as a unit, just what you were saying a little earlier. Canada made the final of that tournament that year, but got curb stomped by the uh, Soviets 8-1. to one. That uh, that uh, quick aside, though, Chris, that 1976 team, 
that played in the Canada Cup. Uh, it's a little before your time, but it is uh, amongst many. They'd say that is the greatest team Canada's ever assembled. There were mm-hmm. 18 Hall of Famers on that squad. Well, I'm going to turn that question right back to you, Terry. Was that the best team that we've ever assembled? What are your thoughts first? Well, I mean, it was uh, certainly uh, of the uh, of the non-Olympic teams. You know, there, there's no comparison. Once we get into the uh, so far five squads that we've sent to yeah. the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, well, of course, uh, again, this is, is the barroom argument, right? This is, yeah. this is what it's uh, this is what it's made to be. Uh Again, I'm. Uh, these are guys I remember when I was, you know, was, was a kid. When I was like, a, you know, a young fan growing up. So yeah. I guess I, I sort of do have a fondness in my heart. Um, coming up now, of course, is going to be that '87 team. Would be the other one, maybe that you know you could argue uh, pre-Olympics. Yeah. Who were the best, you know, conglomeration that Canada has ever put together? Yeah, I would say uh, the '76 team. Maybe not the most talented group ever put together, but maybe the hardest working group. And and obviously Terry, it was before my time, but I did see enough like highlights and clips and, and read enough about this 1976 team to know that they may not have been the most talented, but maybe one of the hardest working and um, yeah, maybe one of the best. I don't know. It, I can't really yeah, say yeah. because it's before my time, but totally. I got a lot and, of respect. And, and, definitely. And again, game game, as you always note is constantly evolving. That's right. That's right. Um, so they made progress, Terry, in the world championships, but not in the Olympics, which brings us to 1980 Lake Placid. For That's all right, our, for our this, and, one's, this one's for our American <laughs> listeners. <laughs> That's right. And we, we dip our toe back in, right? Yeah. So, and we'll see over these next few Olympics how Canada adapts and struggles with uh, both the concept of team and the constant moving of the goalposts by the IOC, and then later by the NHL, until a full NHL All-Star team arrives in 1998. With the IOC remaining unreasonable, Canada returned to Father David Bauer's model of assembling one team to train for a whole year. He returned as GM, and as before, it was mostly university players. They chose University of Toronto's Dave King, University of Alberta's Claire Drake to coach. And camp opened in August 1979 in Calgary. This time around, they played exhibition games against NHL teams, winning four of six, and also won four of six against the eventual gold medal winning U.S. team. However, they would not get a chance against the Americans at the games. Playing in different pools in the 12-team tournament, Canada lost on a fluke goal four to three to Finland and took the Russians to the wall before falling 6-4 settling for a sixth-place finish. That Russian team had seven players from their 1972 Summit Series team. Twelve players from Team Canada would go on to NHL careers, including Hall of Famer Glenn Anderson, five-time Stanley Cup winner Dr. Randy Gregg, Paul McLean, not, not ours, yeah. and, uh, and, and Jim Neal. And uh, I mentioned Jim Neal. That's an inside joke for a couple of friends back on Prince Edward Island. Despite the results... Hockey Canada viewed the tournament as a success for all involved, but were aware that it was still a compromise between competing and doing everything to win. So, so a close call, Chris, but, you know, tournaments like this, it, it's really all about who's better on the day, right? 
Yeah. And I mean, when the competition is this fierce and, and it's so competitive, um, obviously any team can win on any day. And the strides that other countries have made in the last couple of decades have been phenomenal to bring parity to this, to like world competition. But um, yeah, like, you, yeah, anything can happen in a given day. Um, but I don't know, Terry, that 1980 Olympic team, I, 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 it's, I'm torn. It good. I'm, I'm torn between like building a team that has spends time playing events together and being able to throw together a team that gels for a, a one week tournament is really hard to do. Right. I mean, it happens and you see it happen yeah. in special groups. They get together and either they played together in the past or they, for some reason they, they mesh and gel, but there's also right. something to be said about teams that go through the trenches together and yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm still torn between the two, to be honest. Right. Yeah. And, and of course, you know, that, that 1980 U.S. win, I, I think we can agree. I mean, that was a boon for hockey. Absolutely. I mean, anytime you see, uh, you know, it's a miracle. It was called a miracle. <laughs> I mean, indeed, yeah. It, yeah. It, can't, it can't get any more like extreme than that. So anytime you see something yeah. on the world stage that gets everyone in the world's attention, I think it's good for the game. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. So where do we go after that, Terry? After the 1980 we're, miracle? After now we're into uh, into Sarajevo in Yugoslavia for 1984. And Team Canada held two regional camps in Montreal and Winnipeg with 49 players before pairing down to 26 in Calgary in August 1983. The team toured Sweden, then went 2-3-2 against NHL teams and beat the American Olympic team 5-2-4 and four in an 11-game series before finishing up with games against AHL clubs. And, and you see that's lessons learned, Chris. You remember back in the 60s, the teams, they were, they were playing together and gelling, but they were only playing other amateur clubs. Right. So now here they are playing against the pros, and it's going to help them uh, once they come up against the Europeans in the, uh, in the tournament. Yeah, I, I um, wanna, the before, team, you, before you keep going, I want to go ask. ahead, sir. How were they able to play exhibition games against NHL teams? Was it not during the season or were they able to get? Oh, it'd be, it'd be during the season, but again, Christmas break or, right. or, you know, just uh, the odd night or uh, some of them were, I think, neutral site games. Again, just a chance to grow the game, grow the NHL game. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and it was, like I say, a small ca- a schedule. It was like uh, seven against the NHL, probably uh, a few more against the AHL clubs would have been a little easier to, uh, to uh, uh, organize and, and set up. Smart move. Definitely a smart move. Yeah, on both parts, I think. Yeah, yeah and, and the, the, inching, the inching towards allowing pros to play, it continued to wreak havoc on the selection process for Team Canada. The rule now was if you played less than 10 NHL games, you were still eligible for Olympic play. The Islanders rookie, Kelly, uh, rookie goalie, Kelly Rudy, he played his 11th NHL game in January 1984 and became ineligible. American complaints also led to other late roster drops. 18-year-olds uh, Kirk Muller and Russ Cortnell were added after the World Junior Hockey Championships, but that's another tournament that was rife with Olympic eligibility headaches. Twelve teams competed in the round robin, and Canada went 4-1 and one to advance to the medal round. However, the loss was 4 to nothing to the Czechs, and that result carried over. And when coupled with shutout losses to Sweden and gold medalist Russia, it led to a disappointing fourth place finish. 
all but a couple of players would go on to NHL careers. And the names are becoming familiar to modern fans like Dave Tippett, Doug Lidster, Pat Flatley. So you can see the process is really starting to gain traction. But still, the future is uncertain. Players need international play for the system to work. But now NHL pros dominate world championship rosters and international exhibition play. For example, in the 1984 Canada Cup, Canada beat Russia in the semis and Sweden two straight out of three in the finals. 18 Russians played both in that year's Olympics and the Canada Cup tournament. Zero Canadians did. With the NHL showing no signs of shutting down for the Olympic tournament and Calgary around the corner, the current system would be needed at least one more time. And, and you see what they're, they're doing, Chris. They're, they're getting better uh, at, at identifying you know, the higher-end junior players, mm-hmm. and they're giving them a, a viable option. Come train with us for a couple of years, compete for your country, and and it's a great uh, you know stepping stone towards the uh, towards the show towards the NHL. Yeah, I mean that's a really hard decision, and not a decision that I think any player should have to make. I mean, there has right. to there has to be some compromises on both sides, as we know. And at this point, so it's 1984. We've had a taste right. of what what international hockey looks like with the best players in the world there. Right. So, I'll, and I don't know, I think, you know, like it's really puts a lot of pressure on teams like Canada at this time who had to throw together a team and were expected yeah. to win. Right. Yes. So. Again, and the expectations, of course, are very much homegrown. Exactly. We put we put all that pressure <laughs> on ourselves because we think we're the, we're the yeah. best we're the best hockey nation. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's exactly so, right. And of course, it, it it only grows when we're hosting because next is Calgary in 1988. Yes, let's get to the Saddle Dome. Right, and it's funny you bring that up, because this was the first time the Winter Olympics were held in Canada, and the Saddle Dome, of course, was the centerpiece of the action. Mm -hmm. It's now the second oldest barn in the NHL after Madison Square Garden. That is, uh, you know. That's surprising. I I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After uh, uh, and and again, it was uh, you know the the brand new focal point back then. So uh, yeah, it's time. It's been a few years. Uh, it was also the first year the IOC allowed professional hockey players to play. No questions asked. Of course, the NHL had other ideas, but the table was being set for 1998. Amateurs who played for Canada this year, like uh, Claude Vilgrain and Trent Yanni, they made twelve thousand dollars. The NHLers who played were a mix. Andy Moog was in a contract dispute. Randy Gregg took the year off to chase the medal he missed with Canada's sixth place finish in 1980. And some were on loan from their clubs. Jim Poplinski from the hometown Flames, Steve Tambolini from the Canucks. But there were no superstars, and there was the constant problem of team chemistry. And, and this is, again, back to the point you were saying, Chris, is it better to have a less talented team for six months before a tournament or a more talented team for a few weeks before the tournament. Yeah, this is the big, this is the big debate. And I really, I don't know where my final answer lies, Terry, but I will say that every every once in a while you can throw together a team and it just works and they gel and they're all superstars and it looks amazing when it does, but when it doesn't, when it fails, it does not look good. So um, we, we, yeah, I'm still kind of on the fence. I like the idea of having a team together. Um, 
just because when situations get tight and games get close and you got to rely on each other, it's, it's such a, an advantage. Yeah. One, one, one of the problems, Chris, was, you know, selling this idea to guys and guys would come in and they'd make the commitment and then they'd get caught. Right. You know, they, they play, you know, you go in and you give eight months of your, of, uh, of your career basically. Yeah. And then someone from the NHL would show up and, and you were to the side. Then so, you know, it, it, the whole process is, is, you know, it's, it's not, it's never going to be perfect. Right. All of a sudden Jim Poblinski shows up to try and bring in a hometown crowd. Right. Right. Yeah. And that yeah. means a couple of guys that, you know, were, you know, uh, working hard along for the uh, six, seven months before. Yeah. Guys get bitter. So yeah. it's, uh, it's again, it, yeah. And, and uh, all that being said, uh, Dave King, uh, he did a good job as coach GM of that squad and, you know, assembling, juggling, preparing the team. They played and beat the Moscow selects, which is like the Soviet B team in an eight game series. And in December, they won the Nizvestia tournament. The first and only time Canada has won that by beating a Russian team that only three months earlier had played in the 1987 Canada Cup finals against NHL pros. That was the 5-6-6-5-6-5 Gretzky to Lemieux with Larry Murphy trailing. Uh, a team Soviet coaching legend Viktor Tikhonov called his best ever. At the Olympics, there was a 12-team round-robin crossover tournament. The top three teams from each group played the top three teams from the other group once. Points from the previous games against their own group carried over, excluding teams who failed to make the medal round. So this making shit up as you go along, <laughs> it, it finally stops at the next games. Thank God. Uh, this is the last time. Yeah, thank God. Because again, in the next games, there's quarters, semis, and finals to determine the medals. Yeah. So in round-robin play, Canada beat the Swiss, beat the Poles and the French, but lost to the Finns and tied the Swedes. So they went into the medal round 0-1 and 1. Canada had to beat the Russians in their first crossover game for any chance for a medal, but there was no sneaking up on them after that as Vestia win, and the reloaded Soviets beat them 5-0, dooming Canada to fourth place. Finland would win silver, its first ever Olympic hockey medal, and Sweden would take bronze. The gold medal went to the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, their last, as the Soviet Union would dissolve in 1991 ending the second era of Olympic hockey. And uh, Chris, these remain the only uh, Olympics held in North America that were not won by Canada or the, uh, or the United States. And it's a shame. And, and mean... if you look at, yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, we, we make up for it. Uh, yeah. Again, uh, just, a, just a quick comparison. Uh, Canada, from 1920 to 1952, they won six gold, two silver, two bronze. And the USSR from 56 to 88, seven gold, one silver, one bronze. So you see how it went from total Canadian domination yeah. to total Soviet domination. Well, it, it makes sense because the Soviets at that time, weren't their players weren't coming to play in the NHL. So they were able to have right. their best players together all the time, playing in events, yeah. training together, and to me, it's no surprise that their record is just the same. I mean, they've got one more gold yeah. than us, so a little bit better. Right. The uh, the uh, the point too, Chris, uh, in the in the first go round of this, when we were talking about the uh, the Olympics back the twenties, the thirties, 
you know, you express surprise that, you know, sometimes like the United States didn't send a team one time and, and why, and, and it really was, you know, the Soviets, when they arrived in the fifties, they really, uh, they really weaponized, politicized sports, right? This is when it became East versus West. It became, yeah. uh, you know, uh, it's our system is, is better than your system. It got personal. So they, it got per and and again it just it, it brought that political up so yeah. you know uh, and, and as you say they invested so much time energy money into it that you know the west was uh, forced to keep up with them mm-hmm. not to uh, not to lose face and and to keep uh, you know in the whole geopolitical you know aspect of the game the game off the ice the game away from the games yeah. so uh, yeah that's uh, that's what they uh, that's what they brought to it well, they did a very good job of it. I mean, you can't, you can't, uh, <laughs> you can't take that away from them. That's for sure. Can't argue with the results. That's for sure, dude. Definitely not. All right, let's move on to France, Terry Albertville, nineteen ninety-two. Albert, so this is basically when correct. I when I can start remembering. Okay. Then yes, that took place. Yeah. Yeah, and and again, it's these next couple. You know, we're getting closer to ninety-eight when it really comes into the, you know, what, you know, the modernist, uh, you know, the NHL era. Yeah. But uh, in, in, uh, in, in Albertville, again, the integration of pros from all countries, it continued. So you're getting familiar names like Boria Salming and Mats Naslund playing for Sweden, Timu Salani playing for Finland. This would be the third time around for coach Dave King. And the team for these games would be another Frankenstein's monster of amateurs developing through the program, like Kurt Manderville and Trevor Kidd. Lesser pros like Dave Hannon and Kurt Giles, and pros at an impasse with management like Sean Burke in New Jersey and friend of the show Eric Lindros in Quebec. However, we're still trying to have our cake and eat it too. The program has gotten better every year since the return to Olympic competition in 1980, but all amateurs would be best for preparation and future development, whereas for results, all professionals would be best. The tournament introduced a revamped format for the first time since 1924, a 12-team round robin followed by one game quarters, semis, and final. In the opening round, there was a 10-minute sudden death period, then it was called a tie. In the elimination round, 10 minutes, then a shootout. In the quarters, Canada beat Germany 4-3 in the first shootout in Olympic history. Lindros scored, then Burke stopped Peter Dreisaitl, father of Leon. In the semis, they won 4-2 over the Czechs. Friend of the show, Fabian Joseph, assisted on the winner and had the fourth goal to put it away. In the final, it was a scoreless tie going into the third before Canada lost 3-1 to the unified team. That's the former USSR making its only appearance ever at the Olympics. Canada's silver was its first medal since 1968. Its best finish since the Kitchener-Waterloo Dutchman, the last club team to represent Canada in 1960, and a culmination of the work since re-entering Olympic competition in 1980. And uh, Chris, you spoke, I listened to you speak to both Eric Windross and Fabian, Fabian Joseph, and they spoke, of course, very fondly of their uh, Olympic participation. Of course. I mean, uh, I've never heard an Olympian speak badly of their experiences, to be honest. And these guys, no exception. Yeah. Um, and like I said, this is the first Olympics that I really remember as a kid. I remember as I... Uh, said in my interview with Fabian, he was my hometown hero. Right, he was on the front of page. Course. He was on the front page of the paper heading to the Olympics, and of course, uh, he he was incredible. But when, what one thing that he did talk about was that Russian team might have been 
maybe the best team he's ever played against. So yeah, yeah, they had a, a really great run and they got really, you know, fortunate to have the, have Eric Lindros in the lineup and a few other guys that were there for various reasons, like you said. Um, but yeah, he said that, that that Russian team was the hardest team they ever played against. And um, I guess a silver medal, nothing to, nothing to, uh, you know, bat an eye at it. it, it had, of course, man, it'd been a long time. Yeah. You know? And uh, yeah. And again, as you see, you know, just because the Soviets are no longer the Soviets, you know, they're still the Russians. Right. You know, they're never, they're never, yeah, they're always that, going to be, they're always going to be a threat. And at that time, like you said earlier, Terry, they had an international program. Canada was playing games throughout the year. They had a probably, I think it was a right. 40, 40 to 60 game schedule or something sure. like that. And exactly. Then, yeah. Yeah. And then in the end, guys like Lindros show up and maybe take somebody's spot in the lineup. So it's really yeah. tough. I mean, you, you want to have your best guys there, but you also want the guys that got you there. So tough call. Yeah, yeah that's it. And, and again, it's, uh, it's continues, you know, to be the, uh, you know, uh, the challenge when you're putting together something like this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the way they were doing it, though, uh, was it was it was really starting to work, right? Well, yeah, I think they were seeing you're seeing that, the results. Yeah, and I think a lot of that had to do with obviously they had incredible management together building these yeah. teams, and they had to realize yep. that they couldn't just always throw together the most talented players. They had to actually build right. a four line team that all had roles yeah. and have everyone yeah. buy into it. Yes. Yep. So Terry, this was the first time we had a two-year break between the Winter Olympics. So we're off to Lillehammer, Norway in 1994, correct? Yeah, that's right. They wanted to uh, separate the Winter Games from the Summer Games. So when we two years separated these, and then the next Winter Games were four years later in 1998 in uh, in Nagano. Right. Now the competi- competition of, uh, excuse me, the composition of this team, Eventually, it was it was mostly not ready for primetime youngsters like Brian Savage and Todd Warner, with a couple of NHL veterans like Chris Contos, and guys trying to leverage their participation against their NHL teams. Peter Nedved, who became a Canadian citizen in 1993 and was locked in the dispute with the Vancouver Canucks, he came late to the team, as did Paul Correa, who played a semester for the University of Maine Black Bears. Over the course of the 1992-93 season, 77 players played at least one game. Tom Rennie, fresh off a Memorial Cup win with the Kamloops Blazers, he took over as coach and opened uh, uh, the camp opened in September 1993. The team then embarked on an ambitious exhibition campaign with games in Norway, Sweden, Germany, and the Izvestia tournament in Moscow. They also had head-to-head matchups against the national teams in the United States, Czechoslovakia, Poland, and Sweden. And remember, because this is what Canada was asking for back in the 1960s, and they were just promptly ignored. So again, they've learned their lessons from what had come before. They realized this was the way of going about building a good squad. The vast majority of the younger players would go on to the NHL, with Korea going on to the Hall of Fame. Canada went 3-1-1 in Group B, beating Sweden, tying the U.S., losing to Czechoslovakia. In the playoff round, they avenged their loss to the Czechs, Korea scored in overtime, then beat Finland in the semis. In the gold medal game, they led Sweden 2-1 with two minutes to go before the Swedes tied it up on a power play. The overtime was scoreless. The story, 
perhaps apocryphal, goes that before the seventh round of the shootout, Hawk and Lube and Matt Snazland both turned down the opportunity to go. 20-year-old Peter Forsberg stepped up and said, I'll take it. The resulting goal, a sick deke by Forsberg that beat Canada's Corey Hirsch by the slimmest of margins, was Forsberg's second of the shootout and led to one of the hockey's great photos and a postage stamp in Sweden. Tommy Salo then stoned Korea to give Sweden its first gold medal in Olympic hockey and Canada back-to-back silver. I have to ask you now, Chris, shootouts in hockey. The answer yes, is no. The answer is no. Yeah. That, that's the short answer. Um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> I, I am not a fan of shootouts to end, and especially like any type of playoff series, playoff game, or international event i just don't think it's you know it doesn't it's not in the spirit of hockey it's not the game of hockey it's a team game and to end it with a shootout not fun for me and i understand why they do it in the nhl now um time restraints and you know understood sure and and even just the fans like trying to get casual fans more you know engaged in the game you know it's exciting but i'm not yeah definitely not a fan of shootouts terry and um I just, I, I, I don't think they should be part of any type of international event. And even, yes. and even if they were in the round robin, for example, having them in the playoff rounds or a gold medal game just doesn't, right. it doesn't make sense to me. Um, how yeah. about you? What yeah. are your thoughts? Understood. On, what are your uh, thoughts? Well, and, and uh, I agree. And, and let me ask you this then there mm-hmm. was in the most recent Olympics, there was a shootout. And, and I want to ask you this, the team that won the coin toss, chose to go first mm-hmm. and and i thought that was silly but then when i i was talking to my buddy matt buzzland jill and he yeah. he sort of saw it from the other way what what do you think of that would you go first or would uh, wouldn't you wait to go second well that's the thing do you want to put the heat on the other team or do you, can your goalie handle it every team seems right. has a different strategy some guys like to put their right. best best score go first get that first goal and then put all the pressure on the other team. Um, personally, right. I, I would like to go last because you, you want to, you want to yeah. end the game on a goal, you know, or whatever, make it a little bit more exciting, yeah. but that's the thing. You got a coin toss happening in a, in a, in a game <laughs> that, that means so much. So why is this even happening? Right. Like, yeah. Is anyone in a rush in, in the arena to get home at that point when you're in an Olympic gold medal, sure. you know, final, I think everyone's going to stick around to see what happens. I, I'd say that's that's probably the uh, the correct take. Yeah, yeah. Now, now for Canada, Chris, again, you have to understand in the big picture, the system was working. You know, they had young players that were getting the best training possible and playing the highest competition available outside the NHL, with the added bonus of representing their country. Just as importantly, the dissolution of the USSR and the global reach of the NHL meant that the best players from every country not just Canada, were being drawn to play there. The playing field was leveling. In July 1994, another administrative reorganization of hockey in Canada took place. The Canadian Hockey Association was a merger of Hockey Canada and the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association. Ironically, they would be the only national organization to vote against using NHLers in the Olympics because there'd be no room for upcoming juniors or young pros on a dream team. Of course, they ended up going along to help grow the game and money. But as you'll see, sometimes you should uh, be careful what you wish for. 
Absolutely. Um, and I wanted to go back to something you said a little earlier. Um, you said that in the 60s, Canada was asking for these exhibition games and they were basically getting ignored. Why do you right. think why do you think that was? Was it to get a competitive edge? Um, was it gamesmanship? Was it political? I, I'd say a little from column A and a little from column B. Yeah, okay. I think everything back then, it was certainly more of a political uh, thing. Again, once the when the Soviet Union was at its height, it was political. And now with the dissolution of the Soviet Union, it becomes, of course, it's the Olympics, it's nationalism, it's country versus country, it's still political, but it's money. Right. So do you think like... And, and I think that's the driver. At that time in the 50s and 60s, those European countries would have been playing against each other probably regularly. So they probably would oh, have I had think so. yeah. a little bit of an Ample advantage. Opportunity. Right. So that would be a little sure. advantage, a little gamesmanship, a little something to hold over the, the North American teams, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd say you're, uh, you're correct on the point. Uh, right. Again, good for Canada to recognize at the time what they needed to do to improve. They saw what they had to do, but again, they weren't being allowed to do it. So finally they said, well, we're going to take our toys and go home. Yeah. And it took, you know, it took the seventies to get it all straightened away. Wheel Hub Asia is committed to building community and bringing accessibility to inline hockey players in Southeast Asia. They've just started a new program called Three Inline, which is Hong Kong's first three on three inline hockey league. Wheel Hub Asia stands for professionalism and collaboration. For inline hockey players, by inline hockey players. For all your inline hockey needs, head to their website at wheelhubasia.com. It's a little it's a, a little surprising that those countries weren't a little more helpful at the time, Terry. <laughs> yeah, we'll get them, don't worry. Exactly. Um, We're bringing the big boys now. Yes, let's get to the big boys. Let's get to where are we at, Nagano? Nagano in 98. Yeah. And uh, and again, the uh, the newly formed, the CAJ, they put Bobby Clark, Bob Ganey and Pierre Gauthier in charge of Canada's 1998 Olympic effort, uh, who chose Mark Crawford, cup winner with the Colorado Avalanche to coach. The new CBA from the 1994 lockout helped put NHL stars in the mix for the first time, which brought a whole new level of scrutiny and second guessing to the entire process. First was the roster itself. Mario Lemieux was in his first retirement, and Paul Correa was not available to the disappointment of Japanese fans as he was recovering from a cross-check by Gary Souter. The hot stove league really got going when Rob Zamner was chosen and Mark Messier was not. Another point of contention was when Bobby Clark named his guy in Philly, Eric Lindros, captain over Wayne Gretzky, though Lindros would share the team lead in scoring with Joe Neuendijk. Still, the expectations were sky high as the tourney began, with many predicting an easy win. Again, shades of 1972. We we will never learn, Chris. Yeah. The team went on. Yeah, the team went undefeated in group play: five nothing over Belarus, three two over Sweden, four one over the U.S. Then beat Kazakhstan four one in the quarters. In the semis, they met Dominic Hasek and the rest of the uh, Czech Republic team. <laughs> the Sabres goalie was in the midst of back-to-back Hart Trophy winning campaigns. It was the only goalie ever to do so. And the Czechs figured, rightly, that their best chance against the Canadians was to lay back and play for a shootout. 
Yuri Slager beat Patrick Waugh to give the Czechs the early lead, but Trevor Winden from Lindros tied it up with a minute to play. After Canada outshot the Czechs 5-1 in OT, it went to a shootout. Now, again, this is seven years before the shootout was introduced in the NHL. Robert Reichel beat Waugh on the first Czech attempt, with Gretzky left sitting on the bench. Hasek Stone, Theo Fleury, Ray Bork, Neuendijk Lindros, and Brendan Shanahan. The Czech Republic would go on to win its first and only gold medal with a 1-0 win over Russia, while the devastated Canadians, despite outshooting Finland 34-15, would lose 3-2 for a very disappointing fourth-place finish. What do you think about that, Chris? Well, this was one of the biggest heartbreaks, I think, <laughs> now what, now you're speaking again from a from yes. a personal what probably standpoint. one of the first yeah. personal heartbreaks you know watching uh sports that i can remember um so vividly yeah. um um first of all that team was stacked but again not a team that had any opportunity to play together before and right. you know jealous yeah. as a group um you got uh, bobby clark at the helm who for some reason makes very unique and strange decisions that nobody understands. And, um, you know, you mentioned a few of the big ones that he made. Um, God knows yeah. why he, they could have been personal. They could have been things that happened in the past, but he definitely made sure. a few, mis- few mistakes with the lineup, but, uh, to get to the, uh, the shootout, absolutely huge mistake, not having Gretzky there. I mean, you can't go wrong with the five no. guys that they chose. They could have chose anyone in that lineup to shoot. They all would right. be, you could make a case for them. But when you've got the, yeah. the best player to ever play the game on the bench and you're letting a defenseman, Ray Bork and Joe Newendike, right. who, you know, maybe is, is it was a great goal scorer, but you, this, these people are not Wayne Gretzky. We're talking about the greatest player. Did, 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 did. Yeah, Chris, did you ever hear Wayne Gretzky was was no good on breakaways? Yeah, I mean that's the most ridiculous thing that's I've just... ever heard. <laughs> I've I've seen him good. score Thank on you. with slap shots on breakaways, <laughs> deacon backhand. He could right. he could do it all. And maybe if there was one small weakness to his game that people want to bring up, they would say that he was not amazing on breakaways. But you're talking right, about yeah. a guy who scored a lot of goals in the NHL. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. I think he would have found a way. um, And also a a guy that can perform in the moment when all the heat is on him and all eyes are on him. Do you think Joe Neuendijk could handle that heat at that time? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and and, uh, one thing thing I did read was uh, after it was over, Chris Pronger, um, he, he said later that when they were playing, they, uh, they didn't play to win. They, they played not to lose. And, right. uh, you know, yeah. And one, one thing you will see with this initial loss, it probably does help us going forward. Right. With, with losing that first one, you know, and again, the, the idea of, you know, uh, I, I think they get better at just choosing, you know, more talent and trying to mold it into, uh, again, Maybe you're not a penalty killer in the NHL, but on yeah. this team, you're going to kill penalties. Yeah. And instead of choosing a penalty killer, you know, choose maybe a guy with a, you know a more talented player and and expect him to adapt to the role. So you know, again, maybe maybe looking back, uh, a good loss. You know, certainly heartbreaking at the time, yeah. but you know, going forward, it, it may may have helped us in the long run. 
Would you have had Gretzky shooting in that shootout there? Well, dude, I mean, you know, that just seems like just a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, I would have, I would have, I would have, I would have called the coin toss. I would have taken, I would have taken us go first, and yeah. I would let him shoot. Well, yeah. exactly. It, it, that's the funny part about it. It seems like a no-brainer, like where you, and and that might be an ego thing where they were trying to like go against the popular decision or go against the grain and be a hero. I don't know. Just doesn't you know, make sense. Over overthinking it, maybe. Eh? Overthinking yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. So where are we at, Terry? We're leaving Nagano now. No, we're still in Nagano. We're still in Nagano. Something else happened in, uh, in Nagano in 1998. It was also, uh, this was the, the beginning of the NHL participation, mm-hmm. but it was also the first time that the women played. Women's ice hockey was introduced as an Olympic sport. And I'm glad you're getting to this, Terry, because the, the women's game has come so far since that Olympics. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Although uh, it's, it's come a long way, but the, uh, but the same two, uh, the same two uh, top teams are, uh, are, uh, are still fighting it out to this day. They and, are. Uh, again, Chris, I hope, yeah, I hope we can take a closer look, uh, you know, sometime at the development of, of women's hockey, but you know, for, for here, you know, we're going to keep the focus right on the Olympic, on the Olympic play, not on the roots of the game. Yeah. I, I will say for reference, the, uh, the first world championships were held in 1990 and Canada had beaten the U S with Finland finishing third in all four tournaments. The gap had closed though. The two nations played head to head 13 times in 1997 and Canada won six and lost five for Nagano. It was a 16 tournament with Sweden, China and host Japan joining the three powers. Canada was led in the tournament by Danielle Goyette. Haley Wickenheiser, and Therese Brisson. However, the U.S. gained a psychological edge in the round robin by erasing a 3-1 deficit in the third by erupting for six unanswered goals in the 7-3 win. In the final, American goalie Sarah Tooting outdueled Canada's Manon Réaume in a 3-1 American win, giving the U.S. the first gold medal in the sport's history, uh, with the Finns again finishing third, and writing a new chapter in what was and continues to be one of the fiercest rivalries, not just hockey, but all sports. These two teams, they, they don't like one another, Chris. They do not. And like you said, this rivalry is fierce to this day, as we've just witnessed in the <laughs> Olympics. Um, I guess we should say congratulations to Team Canada. Yeah, that's spoiler. Yeah. yeah, spoiler. Uh, I don't think it, I think anyone who's listening to this probably knows the results of the uh, the Olympics. Uh, but but uh, Terry, I will say, you know, although Canada and the U.S. are quite far ahead and have been for a long time, the other teams are getting closer. I mean, this yeah. year in the Olympics, yeah. we saw a lot of really, really close games, especially in the, the B group. Um, it's really yeah. and it's really awesome to see yeah. this development. Right. And, and again, as, uh, as uh, over the course of these next few Olympics, Chris, when we talk about the women's game, you'll see just exactly that, how it is. Uh, certainly it's coming around to, uh, to be, uh, and, and, and of course, good, uh, good for the sport all, all the way around. Uh, however, uh, another, another point, maybe just like the men's loss in the big picture, maybe, you know, maybe it helped going forward. Maybe you needed that, that loss at that point. And, uh, you know, again, not that I don't think uh, I don't think the uh, the Canadian women needed a, a lot of, uh, you know, extra incentive 
but uh, you know, yes, we'll we'll see uh, how they they really do come to. It's always close, but they do come to a, to dominate a little bit as far as the Olympic play goes. Yeah, you're definitely right, and those those rivalries are so important for the game as well because people want to be part of it, and then they want to have their own. So I yeah, exactly. It's been yeah. it's been, it's been huge. Um, so Terry, we're moving on to Salt Lake City, Utah, 2002. Yeah. 2002, back to the U.S. of A. And uh, after leaving Gretzky on the bench for the shootout in Nagano, the CHA turned to the recently retired star, along with assistant Kevin Lowe and head coach Pat Quinn, to assemble the team for Salt Lake City. The IIHF gave the Six Nations with automatic berths into the tournament until March 1st, 2001, to name between 8 and 12 players for promotional purposes. The remaining 15 were named in February 2002, two weeks before play started. Canada's eight were Mario Lemieux, captain, Rob Blake, Chris Pronger, Scott Niedermeyer, Joe Sackett, Paul Correa, Owen Nolan, and Steve Eiserman. They chose not to name any goalies to keep their options open. Now, management did their best to temper expectations, and the team's play in the group round did not inspire confidence. After losing their opener 5-2 to Sweden, they snuck by a weak German team 3-2 and tied the defending gold medalist Czechs 3-3, after which Gretzky gave a great us-against-the-world, nobody's-happy-for-Canada speech mm-hmm. at, at the press conference. Yeah, great stuff. And, and it had the intended effect. They beat a tough Finnish team 2-1, then caught a break. Belarus beat Sweden 4-3 on a weak goal against Tommy Salo. Canada would thump Belarus 7-1 in the semis to set up a gold medal match against the United States, who were coached by Hall of Famer and Olympic icon Herb Brooks. Tony Amante opened the scoring for the U.S., but then Paul Correa tied it up after a clever fake one-timer by Lemieux froze American goalie Mike Richter. Jerome McGinley and Sackick scored in the third as Canada won going away 5-2. It was 50 years to the day February 24th, 1952, since Canada had won Olympic gold in hockey. That was the uh, Edmonton Mercuries. That's pretty poetic. That's pretty poetic. Yeah, isn't that poetic? Yeah. It's unbelievable. 50 to the day. Yeah. Yeah. To the day. Lovely. And uh, after the tournament, it was revealed that Edmonton ice maker Trent Evans, whose team laid the sheet for the Salt Lake City Olympics, had buried a loony underneath the center ice logo for good luck. The coin now rests at the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. That loony would also help put the women's team over the top. Their 18 tournament saw both Canada and the United States go undefeated in group play. Canada outscored Sweden, Russia, and Kazakhstan 25-0, while the U.S. handled Finland, Germany, and China by a total of 27-1. Sweden would beat Finland 2-1 for bronze in their first medal in women's hockey, while Canada, behind goals from Carolyn Ouellette, Tournament MVP Haley Wickenheiser and Jana Hefford would nip the U.S. 3-2, extracting sweet revenge for 1998 on their opponent's home ice and uh, setting up a, a historic double for Canada. Yeah, this is more like, yeah. Terry, so, this, this is when the podcast is getting good here. <laughs> yeah, very. You have pleasant memories. You have pleasant memories of that, Chris. I, I definitely do. Um, huge for uh, both the women's and men's programs. And it was kind of the first year that everything really seemed to go according to plan for, for right. the most part. Yeah. And um, sure. 
Uh, you mentioned there were a few guys they didn't have in the lineup, but their their team was stacked. Yeah, yeah that that was a uh, that was a great conglomeration. And again, there will be five, and yeah, uh, and we're going to ask you a little later on what's what your favorite is. But uh, yeah, um, actually, with uh, Jerome McGinley uh, yeah. getting into the Hall of Fame uh, in twenty twenty, uh, thirteen Hall of Famers on that uh, on that squad. So wow. uh, again, yeah, a lot of talent. A lot of talent. Have you have you been to the Hall of Fame in, in Toronto, Terry? I have not. I have not, and uh, I, I I'm going to rectify that situation one day. I hope you must. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah. It's you, something to see. Eh? You should book a whole week because you're going to spend a lot of time in there. I, I could definitely spend more than a day. That's it. Yeah, looking forward to it. Absolutely. So um, from the great success and all the excitement around the 2002 Olympics. We now we now have to go to Italy. <laughs> we have to go to Italy. We have yeah. to go to Turin. Can That's we skip? Right. Can we skip this one? Oh, certainly not. No, <laughs> no. Again, and 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 uh, you know, I think you uh, you uh, you learn from your losses, right? Uh, right. You know, if there's anything, yeah, there's anything a, to be said. That's a great What's excuse. That that's a great excuse. Yeah. Learning. Well. Uh, Learning, learning from, from your losses, losses. yeah. <laughs> well, again, it's interesting to to see how how things went so terribly, terribly wrong. You know, for the men, you know, none of those feel good vibes of of success at the two thousand two games. They, they didn't carry over at all. Um, in two thousand two, the Gretzky led brain trust made all the right decisions. Four years later, troubles and distractions, both internal and external, led to a performance that falls somewhere between underwhelming and embarrassing. It started with the naming of the team itself. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, it seems Gretzky's undoing might have been his decision to remain loyal to players who had helped Canada win the 2002 Olympic gold medal and the 2004 World Cup of Hockey. Seven players from Salt Lake City returned, including Shane Doan and Chris Draper, while young stars like heralded rookie Sidney Crosby, Eric Stahl, of uh, Carolina, who was uh, third in points in the NHL at the time, and uh, Jason Spezza of Ottawa, they were either left off the team or relegated to the taxi squad. The inclusion of Todd Bertuzzi drew almost almost universal negative attention. Steve Moore, whose career was ended by a Bertuzzi assault in March 2004, filed a $15 million Canadian lawsuit the day of Team Canada's second game. Meanwhile, Gretzky, architect of the team and face of the game internationally, was having a couple of months from hell. In December, his mother Phyllis died, followed shortly by the death of his maternal grandmother. Then, just days before the Olympics opened, police in New Jersey charged Rick Tockett, his friend and assistant coach in Phoenix, with operating an illegal gambling ring. The reports that Gretzky's wife, Janet Jones, was one of Tockett's prime customers betting more than $500,000 U.S., including $75,000 on the Super Bowl, even making a $5,000 wager on the coin toss. Tockett would eventually plead guilty to conspiracy in promoting gambling and receive two years probation. Even before the Canadians played a game, Gretzky had to weather a flurry of questions at the Olympics from reporters who wondered whether he would be distracted by the gambling scandal. He finally said, I'm finished talking about gambling. If you have any questions about hockey, I'll stand up here all day and answer. However, as the Olympic tournament went on and Canada stumbled through the schedule, 
the betting controversy went from being a hot news story to a dark joke. And uh, they were saying the next thing that's going to happen, uh, Gretzky's going to get up and say, and I'm finished talking about hockey. But if you have any questions about gambling, I'll, I'll stand up here all day <laughs> and, uh, and answer. Yeah. Um, things started well for the team, uh, convincing wins over Italy and Germany. But the third game was against Switzerland, a team that Canada had never lost to, a team that featured two NHL players. One was goalie Martin Gerber of the Nashville Predators, who turned away 49 shots for a 2-0 win. Canada was 0 for 14 on the power play. That's a crazy Finland stat. There, yeah. 0 for 14. Uh, on the power play. That's a, that's a yeah. breakdown on, on many levels. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Finland was next, and they shut out the Canadians by the same 2-0 score on goals by Timu Solani and Nico Kapanen. The final Group A game was against Czech Republic. With Dominic Hasek injured, the Czechs outshot Canada 33-16, but Martin Brodeur led the way in a 3-2 Canada win, setting up a quarterfinal match against the Russians. It was scoreless in the third when Bertuzzi got two minutes for interference. 20-year-old Alexander Ovechkin scored on the power play, and Alexei Kovalev added an empty netter for yet another 2-0 Canadian defeat, this one assuring them a seventh-place finish in the games of the 20th Olympiad. And uh, a disappointing performance, to say the least, Chris. Say the least, Terry. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, maybe a, just call it a learning moment because yeah. Uh, yeah. it was it was one of those times where you, you said it at the beginning, like Gretzky made a few mistakes, taking in a few old guys that he had you know ties with from the previous Olympics, and it backfired. Yeah. So that was definitely yeah. a learning moment. And I don't know if uh, at that time. Maybe maybe Gretzky wasn't the right guy to be in charge. Maybe he wasn't ready to be making those decisions. And that might not be a popular opinion, but I mean, yeah, he just he had just well, finished he, playing and he had a, a lot well, of. He, well, he, he he did the job. He did the job in 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 Salt Lake City. Yes. But then, you know, uh, you know, things just it, it was just one damn thing after another. Yeah. And right? all the, it was just. Yeah all those things that happened leading up to the tournament. And I don't know, I'm, you can't go wrong with having Wayne Gretzky involved. Obviously. I mean, he's right. Yes. Such yeah. an amazing ambassador, but um, I don't know, Terry, I think there was a, an older group that year and yeah. it just yeah. came, it came back to haunt them in the end. Yeah. Well, and, and again, the name, the name that jumped out at me was that that was again, uh, Ovechkin was 20 and, yeah. and he scored the winner against them while Sidney Crosby didn't even make the trip. Exactly. So, I mean. Right. And, and those two now have, have grown up together and, you know, competed against one another and still to this day, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that, that was really telling, just uh, not having the trust in the young guys, going with the older guys, and, uh, and it backfired. And, and it, uh, again, there was a lot of stuff off the ice, too, that, you know. Right. I don't know if I would Perhaps they should have anticipated I don't know if I'd want to be the one trying to make that decision, final roster for Team Canada. Sure. It's a really, course, really, yeah. really tough thing to do. And hey, now, yeah. we've, now we've got Wayne Gretzky and Rick Tockett doing uh, an analysis between games on TNT. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're still together. All my life's the circle, huh? Exactly. Yeah. They're still yeah, together. Indeed. All right. So, Terry, how, how about the women's tournament that year? Yeah, now there was uh, no such problems. Troubled Team Canada there. 
they again ran roughshod over their group opponents, beating the host Italian 16-0, Russia 12-0, Sweden 8-1. Meanwhile, the U.S. took care of business, 6-0 over Switzerland, 5-0 over Germany, 7-3 over Finland. The semis saw a major upset, though. While Canada defeated Finland 6-0, the, uh, the Americans would fall 3-2 to Sweden in a shootout for their first loss in Olympic play to a country other than Canada. They would claim bronze, while Canada would make it back-to-back -back golds with a 4-1 win over the Swedes behind Haley Wickenheiser's back-to-back -back MVPs. She had 17 points in five games, and goaltenders Charlene Labonte and Kim St. Pierre, who allowed one goal each over the uh, course of the tournament. So uh, the men didn't uh, show up, Chris, but the but the women, they took care of business. They certainly did. And uh, I think that was a huge boost uh, for the Canadian hockey program at that time. Um, to see the U.S. lose to another country in the Olympics, it just showed a lot, yep. a lot about the growth of the game. And for Canada that yep. year to be that dominant, was pretty special. Mm -hmm. And that record that Haley yeah. Wickenizer had, 17 points, held up until this yeah. year. It was just right. broken yeah, this, that's this right. year. So yeah. um, she's obviously one of the best to ever play the game um, and a huge ambassador for Canada as well. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I was not shocked, Terry. The women have been taking care of business for a long time. Indeed. <laughs> well put. Yeah. So what's where are we heading now, Terry? The, what are the, wow, we're coming home. We're coming home, buddy. Coming home, eh? 2010 Vancouver, yeah. BC. And the 21st Olympics, they, this was the second time Canada had home ice advantage. But this was the first time the host city was also home to an NHL team uh, when, NA, when NHL players were eligible to compete. So players on the Vancouver Canucks who were competing in the Olympics were playing in their home arena. Roberto Luongo for Canada, Ryan Kessler for the United States, Pavel uh, Dimitra for Slovakia, Sammy Salo for Finland, Christian Eroff for Germany, and Daniel and Hedrick Sedin for uh, Sweden. Former Red Wing great Steve Eisman was put in charge, and Mike Babcock was named head coach. The team was announced in late December 2009 with only five holdovers from the debacle in Turin. The 12-team tournament held a preliminary round with the top four teams getting a bye into the quarters. Canada began by thumping Norway 8-0, eking out a 3-2 win against uh, Switzerland in a shootout, then losing to the United States 5-3, forcing them to play a qualifying game against Germany. Roberto Luongo replaced Martin Brodeur in nets, and the team rallied for an 8-2 win, setting up a quarterfinal match with Russia, which they won with surprising ease. Ryan Getzlaff, Dan Boyle, Rick Nash, Brendan Morrow scored first period goals. Canada never trailed, winning 7-3. They jumped out to a 3-0 lead against Slovakia in the semis, but had to, had to survive a tense final five minutes before holding on for a 3-2 win, setting up a rematch of the 2002 gold medal game in Salt Lake City. The uh, U.S. had beaten Finland 6-1 in the other semi. The final, as we know, was an all-timer. Zach Parise beat Luongo with 25 seconds left to tie it at two. Then Sidney Crosby beat Ryan Miller for the golden goal, 7:40 into overtime. It was Canada's seventh Olympic hockey gold, one more than Russia. Do you like beer? I know I like beer. And my favorite type of beer is a Yardley Brothers beer. Remember when I used to ramble on about how delicious the Machine Men Pale Ale was last season? Well, at this year's Cathay Pacific International Wine and Spirits Competition, 
gold medals were awarded to both the Yardies Machine Men Pale Ale as well as their new Mango Sticky Mango Imperial Goze. The boys even brought home some bronze awards at the 2020 Asia Beer Championship for their Mum's Rhubarb Crumble Pastry Sour and their Gooseberry Custard Sour. But that's not all. On the same night, Yardies also walked away with a gold medal for Best Experimental Beer in Asia. My new favorite, the SEA Sour. You gotta get this in your belly, folks. I don't tell no lies. For more information, go to YardleyBrothers.hk. So, Chris, along with Henderson in 72 and, and Lemieux in 87, uh, maybe the biggest goal ever in, in Canadian hockey history? Well, it's a really, really tough one, Terry. Uh, I think the most influential goal in hockey history has to go to Paul Henderson. Um, right. Maybe one of the most iconic goals with Lemieux and Gretzky uh, in together. 87 together. And Larry, and Larry Murphy. Well, well, he had to go to the net with a stick on the ice. Decoy. He was the decoy. Sure. I still I still don't know why Lemieux didn't slide that puck over to him. Um, <laughs> but obviously, um, the Crosby goal was huge yeah. because it was in Vancouver and, you know, it was just all the right things were happening. It was a really special moment yeah. in Canada. But I don't think it's as big for the history of hockey as Henderson was. And right. maybe maybe not even quite as big as the as the Lemieux goal. So, uh, it's, what do you think, Terry? I mean, it's you could pick anyone. Oh, it's a really tough call. Well, uh, you know, yeah, I'm old enough to even have a like a, a somewhat good memory of of Paul Henderson. So, uh, yeah, but uh, I, for just sheer, uh, you know, uh, sudden, you know, uh, again, I remember watching that one for sure, right? Yeah, and it was uh, it was bedlam. It was it was madness, and as as you said, it on home ice, it was uh yeah a, a perfect storm of a lot of things. Yeah, and uh, you know Crosby after getting left off uh, back uh, you know in uh, in 06, I'm sure mm. it was some uh, you know something for him personally, and uh, yeah, just uh, just a, a great great moment, one yeah. of the big three. I, I will say, Chris, uh, uh, just a little quick uh, uh, trivia before we do head on to uh, to how the the women did that year. In this Olympics, Timu Solani became the uh, overall scoring leader in Olympic history. Uh, he was playing in his fifth Olympics, and he passed, of course, Canadian Harry Watson, who played five Olympic Games. Of course, Harry Watson. I was going to say that. <laughs> Harry Watson scored his <laughs> points in five games, and it took Timu Solani five Olympics right. to catch up with uh, with Harry Watson. Yeah, from well, back uh, back nineteen twenty four. So thank, thank time, you. For, times have certainly changed. Thank you for not throwing that at me as a trivia question. We all know <laughs> we all know how I do on those. Said <laughs> <laughs> but true. Exactly, yeah. it is. The, yeah, the the women, however, the women, of course, they kept pace. Right, Slovakia joined the tournament for the first time, uh, as the Canadian women also had home home ice advantage. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, both Canada and the U.S. continued to flex during group play, with Canada outscoring their opponents 41-2 and the Americans dominating three games by a total of 31-1. The medal games were both thrillers, though. In the game for bronze, Finland beat Sweden 3-2 in overtime on a goal by Karo Rantamaki, a stalwart whose career would span five Olympics. In the gold medal game, before a crowd of almost 17,000, Canada would ride two first-period goals by Marie-Philippe Poulain 
and a shutout by Shannon Zabados to win 2 nothing. Tournament MVP Megan Acosta led all scores with 15 points in six games, including two hat tricks. And this, again, you're going to see, Chris, how uh, this, this will be the end of uh, uh, the, uh, the lopsidedness. They do make a little tweak coming up in the women's game. To uh, because at the point you know Jacques Rogue, the uh, the head of the IOC, he was uh, he was threatening you know that if if this continues to be sort of a two horse race, um, you know maybe what is it doing in the Olympics? What what Chris? What what could other countries do to help develop? Uh, you know, well, this sport in particular, but but any sport. What's the key? Do you think to uh, to getting you know the youngsters, others involved? I think the key is time. It takes a lot of time to develop and you got to start at the grassroots. And if you're right. introducing a new sport, well, we can use hockey as an example in Asia. It's a newer sport. Sure. Um, it has been around for a long time, but it is still considered a new sport. So to me, they need, you need, first of all, infrastructure, which is continuing to happen pretty quickly here. We've got two new rinks in Hong Kong, for example, in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, and then you've got, you need hometown heroes. You need guys who can make a living playing the game. And that leads to kids wanting to do the same thing. The, the key is time. I mean, you can't rush. Um, you, you can't rush like becoming dominant in a sport. And you can't rush. Like I think, you know, if you took China for an example in this year's Olympics, they really had a, a really hard push in the last 10 years to develop their hockey program. But it was kind of like too little, too late. You can't just throw money and, um, you know, short-term goals into a situation and expect success. Um, and this yeah. is, this is no, this is the same in, in any sport. Um, but I'm glad you mentioned Mary Philippe Poulain, who is captain yeah. clutch. Um, she, <laughs> she just has this a has the start of it. She yeah. has a knack of scoring game-winning goals. Um, but Terry, I mean, the, the biggest debate always about the Olympics for me is whether or not pros should be there. Right. So if, yeah. you're, if you're a person who believes pros should be there and you want all the best players in the world to be there, then you have to agree that it's working. The game is developing. Yes. Um, teams like Hong Kong's hockey team who played in the... Division three IIHF versus Japan for the first time and lost 93 to nothing. Was that right. a good, was it a good thing at the time for the program? Right. Yeah. Probably not, but in right. the long run, it's a start and there's going to be a lot of yeah. growing pains to grow programs. And it's not something you can do overnight. Understood. Yeah. Very well put, dude. Very well put. Yeah. So um, what do you think, Terry? I want to ask that because I've always wondered what you thought about the pros being there. First of all, it's, uh, again, I'm of I'm of two minds, uh, and especially uh, you know, Chris. After uh, you know, doing this uh, this deep dive here, um, perhaps as we'll see, the the result we got in 2018 was you know really if you as we'll see, it's it's not surprising. What had to happen to us this year when the NHL when it was just suddenly. Um, you saw all that work we did through the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And when it came time for something like that this year, that that no longer exists. Right. You know, it, it, they just had to go back to the pros. And and I mean, it's just it was a little it's 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 that back to, 
you know, six of one, half dozen of the other, and and neither is is very fulfilling. Right. right? Uh, it, it just seemed a shame that they put that much work, time, effort into the program. And then, and like I say, in, in it's ironic that Canada wasn't the one country that didn't want when it came down to it. They made the vote. Maybe it was somewhat symbolic. But they, they didn't really want the NHLers to go because they'd done all this work. And now here was your chance. We're seeing the fruits of this, you know, develop. And and they knew once it goes to dream teams, you're never going to see an upcoming junior player. Yeah. Right. You're never going to see any of the developing guys because it's always going to be the headline guys. Now, of course, best on best. That's uh, that's that's fun in its own right as well. So, right. uh, you know, I, I it's good hockey, but I, I thought the hockey this year was was fine. And the second part, I think, Terry, that we need to talk about for a sec is um, if if you agree that you want the best players in the world to be there, is it is it positive for a team like China who's hosting or, you know, if it's in another Asian country at some point where you have a, a non-hockey country hosting the Olympics, do you think right. that they should, is it good for them to put a team in and get thumped? Like, are you of the mind that taking your lumps is going to be good in the long run? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm glad it it didn't turn into, you know that that would have been a problem. I think this year if the NHL had come over, right? You know they what they would have done to the Chinese team. Uh, yeah, it's I don't think it really it doesn't help at all myself, right? But yeah. again, I'm not the expert. I just I just I know I wouldn't watch it, right? Right? I I have no desire to see. You know, I can only speak from my my own point of view. I have no desire to see anyone lose twenty one nothing or beat yeah. someone twenty one nothing, right? You yeah, know. I tend to agree. I, I don't think it's a good idea to to put yourself in that situation to be embarrassed. Um, you know, obviously, there's also the risk of injuries and guys sure. who maybe will they'll get so broken that they'll never want to play the game again. I mean, this these things could happen. Yeah, yeah, and these things are uh, again. As, as we go forward in these next couple of years, you'll see some of these issues come up. All right. Let's do that, Terry. Let's get to Sochi 2014. That's right, Chris. And, and now, again, the combination of Steve Iversman as GM and Mike Babcock as head coach, they returned, as did 10 players from the home, uh, hometown gold team in 2010. The group they put together would become the zenith for the all-NHL Canadian Olympic teams. Perhaps not the best on paper, but on the ice, dominant in a way not seen before in the era of NHL-added competition. The format for the 12-team tournament remained unchanged, and Canada went undefeated through three games by beating Norway 3-1, Austria 6-0, and Finland 2-1 in overtime, a goal by Drew Deli. Their win in the quarterfinals was only 2-1 over Latvia, though they did outshoot them 57-16. This set up a semifinal match against perennial rival the USA, where Carey Price would outduel Jonathan Quick for a one-nothing win. Jamie Benn's second period goal would be all that was needed. That set up a rematch of the 1994 gold medal game in Lillehammer against Sweden. And Canada's defensive dominance continued. Carey Price pitched another shutout. Jonathan Tade, Sidney Crosby, Chris Kunitz scored one a period for a three-nothing win. It was the first time since 1928 that a Canadian team won all its games. With the gold medal, Canada would become the first men's team to successfully defend an Olympic title since the Soviet Union in 1988, the first team to finish the tournament undefeated since 1984, 
and the first to do it, uh, to do both with full NHL participation. Canada surrendered only three goals in six games, the fewest allowed by a gold medalist since 1928 when Canada shut out the opposition. They only played three games in that tournament. So, Chris, uh, you know, not not as significant as as the uh, 2002 team, you know, which was the first gold in 50 years, or maybe not as thrilling as the 2010 team, the golden goal at home. But would this maybe be the best of the five NHL teams, or or where would you, who would you put as the best of the uh, of the NHL squads that we sent to the Olympics? I've got this one, Terry, as number one. Um, this that team that they put together was one of the teams that even the biggest stars, like you said earlier, had to buy in and take different roles on the team, and they all did it. Um, they played right. an incredible tight checking for you know for Olympic style hockey. Um, they they all bought in, and for whatever reason, that was the year that everything clicked. And those numbers are staggering, like seventeen yeah, goals I- for and, and three against. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like Just, to have uh, I'd like yeah. to have that uh, that Carey Price back. I can tell you that the 2014 <laughs> version of Carey Price. <laughs> he was top of the world then. Eh? Oh yeah, man, no doubt um, about it. Yeah, I think in my opinion, it's the best team I've ever seen. Right, personally. Yeah. Um, I yeah. the 2010 team was was great, obviously, but they weren't as dominant. And right, 2014 team just didn't do anything wrong they they had every part of the right. game yeah down to a t yeah. just and, played solid yeah. yeah just played good hockey yes good, good played good hockey yeah now uh, speaking of zeniths uh this olympics would see canada's women's national team match various impressive olympic records as well uh, japan rejoined the tournament via qualification along with germany they were joined by fifth ranked sweden and host russia in group b while the four top-ranked countries, Canada, the United States, Finland, and Switzerland, they played each other in Group A. This shuffling of the groups, tried first at the 2012 World Championships, it helped cut down on the one-sided games. Canada would go undefeated by beating the Swiss 5-0, the Finns 3-0, and the Yanks 3-2. In the bronze medal game, Switzerland would beat Finland 3-2 to win their first medal in this discipline, while the gold medal match would see another first overtime would decide the winner trailing two nothing with less than four minutes to go goals by canada's brianne jenner and marie philippe poulin tied it at two and sent the game to overtime at 8 10 of the four by uh, four on four ot laura fortino set up poulin on the power play and canada had its fourth consecutive goal this matched the ussr's men's team from 1964 to 1976 and the Canadian men's team from 1920 to 1932. Additionally, Haley Wickenheiser, Gina Heffert, Carolyn Ouellette became the first hockey players to win four Olympic gold medals. They also joined Soviet biathlete Alexander Tikhonov and German speed skater Claudia Pechstein as the only athletes to win gold medals in four straight Winter Olympics. Uh, Florence Schelling of Switzerland, uh, Jenny Hirkowski of Finland, and Michelle Karvinen of Finland were named the top goalie, defenseman, and forward, respectively. Nearly four years after the tournament, six Russian players were disqualified because of, of uh, and the team's results were thrown out uh, after a reanalysis of doping samples. Um, before I ask you that question, Chris, 
to your point, you could see there the the best goalie of the tournament, the best defenseman, the best forward. None of them were Canadian. None of them were American. So you see how, again, it's starting to work. Yeah, absolutely, Terry. Those teams, Finland, Sweden, um, some of the other uh, top women's uh, nations, they've really come so far in the last few years. Um, but it seems we're still, Canada and the U.S. is still, you know, <laughs> it's, on, not, it it's not like they're unbeatable, but it just, you know, I don't, it's, I don't know what it's going to take. Maybe the development right. of hockey was just a little quicker in North America. We've got, we've got a pro league. We've had a few different pro sure. leagues uh, over the last yeah. couple of decades. So that is huge. We've got women making a yeah. living playing hockey. Um, Chris, that's, yeah. that's exactly what I've, I've heard and read, you know, again, looking into this was a couple of them said it was the, it was the presence of the pro league. Yes. That, that really, you know, it gives, you know, people something to shoot for. You know, it gives them that goal after mm -hmm. this. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the the lure of the education, of course, in the United States, the NCAA, is a, is a big carrot, of course. But then something even on top of that. And, yeah. And that really, I think, is is making the difference. We're seeing that. We saw that this year at the Olympics. Uh, just, it was really kind of shocking to see how many players from other countries were playing NCAA in the U.S. or right. playing professionally in North America. And I mean, those yeah. are the things that are going to help grow the game. That's going to take it. Yeah. Now uh, to my, uh, to my, uh, the second point there, uh, it, I know you're shocked to, to see Russians were accused and then caught of doping. Yes. Um, <laughs> is, is doping, is it a problem in hockey, Chris? Well, it hasn't or, been. Or a, P, P, PEDs in general? Well, it hasn't been like on the radar as much with professional or NHL hockey as it has been with like uh football for example or uh other other sports like track sports uh, it just it seemed like it wasn't a huge part of the game but it right. slowly crept its way in and i think during the times like th they weren't being tested like they were in other sports as well like it was random right. yes. random tests um the the guidelines weren't as strict because it wasn't as seen as a big issue in the nhl but right I think for a couple of decades there, like the same during the steroid area era of baseball, I think it was happening, especially at that time we had enforcers in the game. We had, we had different, yeah. the game was different. Like re, as you, yeah. as you know, Terry, the game was a lot different. So we had guys who made a living battling and fighting in the NHL. And, and maybe, you know, I've heard a few stories about guys who, who dabbled into some PEDs and stuff sure. like that, but it was never, it never yeah. really seemed to be huge in the yeah. hockey culture, in the hockey world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, there's the point that as, as far as the culture goes, maybe, you know, hockey's culture, you know, has been, uh, you know, uh, shown to be lacking in certain areas, but I mean, I don't think, yeah, it's, it's never really been a, you know, been, been, been more of a, a beer and cigarette kind of thing. Exactly. And also, I don't know how much of a benefit it would be to be muscle bound, you know, to, as a hockey right. player. There's so much, yeah. you know, so much more to it, flexibility and, and the plyometrics and the things that they do now. I don't I don't know. How, right. I don't know where steroids fit there. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So, All right. uh, one, yeah, one last one. To, one last one to talk about. Pyeongchang. The 2018 one that, over there in South Korea. Yes. The, the one where we should have been there and we weren't, Terry. 
Yeah, indeed. Still, uh, still, yeah. still yeah. one of my big regrets not getting over to those. Still, lines. still rankles. Eh? Yeah, still, hurts. still hurts. Yeah, I don't blame you, man. I don't blame you. Uh, on April, uh, April third, two thousand seventeen, the NHL announced that its players, for the first time since nineteen ninety eight, would not be participating in the Olympic Games. Uh, the reasons cited were varied: logistical problems with shutting down the league for two plus weeks mid season, fear of injuries, and the intendant and the attendant insurance concerns basically who was going to pay for it, uh, the lack of support from the IOC, which sounds all too familiar, and the concern among NHL owners as to whether there is a quantifiable gain to participation to begin with. And Chris, do, do they have a point? Um, it may grow the game, but, but does it grow their game, the NHL game? Well, it doesn't fill their pockets, that's for sure, Terry. And I think that's the bottom line for these guys because – Yes, yep. it does. It helps the game. It grows the game. It makes the game better. It's absolutely the right thing to do. So, yeah, I the greed part is really hard because but there's also like, you know, injuries and superstars who, you know, have obligations to their teams and what happens if they get hurt and, and blah, blah, blah. Yep. But I think that's a risk you take to develop the game that yep. we love. And if you really love the sport, you want to see it succeed everywhere. Yeah, very well put, man. Yeah, no, and, and again, it's uh, you, you. You said you know you hit the nail right on the head. It, it it puts money in pockets, but not necessarily theirs. Exactly. But the yeah. overall growth so of the now, game, it's it's necessary and it it works. Yeah. It works indeed. Yeah. So uh, hockey Canada, they they were not caught by surprise. Unlike the situation that was done fold four years later when COVID caused a last minute cancellation. Mm -hmm. So uh, they decided on a veteran approach. Uh, unlike the NHL, the European leagues all shut down for an Olympic break. CEO Tom Rennie, GM Sean Burke, with an assist from Martin Brodeur, and head coach Willie Desjardins, who had just finished three seasons behind the Vancouver, Vancouver Canucks bench, they had 14 months. And they used seven tournaments, including the Channel One Cup, which is now what they call the Izvestia in Moscow, the Nikolai Puchkov Cup in St. Petersburg, the Karl Jala Cup in Helsinki, and finally a second place finish at the Spengler Cup in Davos to look at over 100 players. The team they settled on was announced a month before the game games and came from 11 different leagues. They had uh, 11 guys from the K, three guys from the A. Uh, it had an average age of 31, 23 of the 25 had NHL experience, a combined 5,544 games played between them. There was one Stanley Cup winner, Chris Kelly with the Bruins, and other names of note included Derek Roy, uh, Rene Bork, and uh, goaltender Ben Scribbins. They played warm-up matches against Latvia, Belarus, and Sweden and arrived in South Korea fully aware that everyone wanted to watch somebody else. That's That's got to be tough, Chris. Yeah, and it certainly is. Um, going there, knowing the expectations of the country and the fact that everyone's going to have an excuse in their back pocket that we're not sending our best guys, um, Yeah, really must have been hard on these guys. Um, but honestly, Terry, that was kind of eye-opening for me after seeing us dominate and the U.S. dominate with our NHL players for a few years. Yeah. Watching that Olympics really, it really brought back like, I don't know, maybe a little bit more of the spirit of the game, especially where it's being hosted in Korea with a, 
you know, maybe not a very strong hockey nation. Um, I think it was really, really good for the game to have this happen. And um, they did the right thing, developing the team the way that they did. And Chris Kelly was the captain and he, you know, a guy who had a lot of ton of experience in the NHL. Um, But what was that year? If it wasn't for Germany, who had a a kind of a, a Cinderella story there, if it wasn't is, for that team, what we're going to see. Exactly. Yeah, they would have, they would have we'll probably won the Olympics and um, yeah. Yeah. So I think it was great for the game. Yeah, you're right. Again, a, a little less mercenary when it's, when it's not the, when it's not the NHL guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, uh, and, and again, the 12, the 12 team format, it remained unchanged and Canada avoided a playing game to the quarters. They beat Switzerland five, nothing. Uh, they lost the shutout three two to the Czech Republic. Shut out the host host the host South Koreans. Excuse me, four to nothing. Yeah, they beat the always tough Finns one nothing in the quarters. But Scrivens got hurt in the second period. Kevin Poulin, who had fifty games with the uh, New York Islanders and last played with Cloten in the Swiss League, he finished the shutout and the tournament. In the semis, as you mentioned, Chris Canada faced Germany. They'd already upset Sweden in the quarters. And their miracle run continued. They beat Canada for the first time in 16 games over 86 years at the Olympics, winning 4-3 despite being outshot 15-1 to in the third period. They would go on to win a silver medal against the Olympic athletes uh, from Russia. The Canadian team, unlike many in international play in the past, brought intensity to their gold bronze medal match, playing their best game of the tournament to beat the Czech Republic 6-4. And I guess that's not really surprising, given the circumstances, Chris. A lot of times, Canadian teams, once you know, we we have that horrible saying: "We didn't win bronze, we lost gold." Right. Whereas with with this group, there was no telling them that they were there for a medal, and you know, damn it, they came home with a medal. Yeah, and that's something that that's a really good point, actually, because it, it's hard for players to get their head around that idea. Once you've lost that semifinal game, it's really tough to bounce back. Um, but that right. Olympics in, in particular, Terry, the the South Koreans, if they if they had been playing against NHL players, you know, I don't know how Again. good it would have been. And they they finished the tournament. Right. They were they were minus thirteen for the whole tournament, which yeah. is respectable. I mean. Four sure. nothing lost to Canada, very respectable. And then this yeah. year again in China, Team China minus fourteen throughout the tournament. So yeah. I mean, this is this is this is really good, and I think it's it's really going to help you know grow the game, especially here in Asia. Agreed. Um, so the uh, one thing you said there that was pretty interesting, Terry. Eighty six years. That is a long spell. Yeah. To, to not to not win a game against <laughs> that the team. was a, that that was a uh, yeah that was a long losing streak so uh, yeah. you know good on them they had a good run beat the Swedes too so it wasn't uh, you know it wasn't uh, it wasn't out of nowhere yeah they uh, and and again Germany as uh, as speaking of countries that you know uh, recently you look at the NHLers right they, yeah they they there's a pipeline now right it's a legitimate hockey you know maybe not a power yeah. but any given Sunday right. Hundred percent, and I think uh, we—I said it before. A lot of places that are trying to develop the game are just trying to do it too quickly, and it just—it yeah. yeah. can't happen that way. Yeah, you do. Uh, you do still see Chris, though, to finish off here. Uh, finish off here this evening. You do still see the very best of the women play, and uh, again, uh, at this tournament, there would be another first in women's hockey 
at the Olympics, but it would mean heartbreak for the Canadian team. The same format of grouping the top four ranked teams held, and the B pool had Switzerland, Sweden, Japan, and the host Korean team, which was made up of players from both North and South Korea. They were coached by Sarah Murray, daughter of former LA King St. Louis Blues coach Andy Murray. Canada would go undefeated through the round robin, winning 5 nothing over the Olympic athletes of Russia, 4-1 over Finland, 2-1 over the U.S. Sarah Nurse had the winner. Finland beat the OAR for the bronze 3-2 behind goaltender of the tournament, Nora Ratti. In the gold medal match, overtime would not be enough to break a 2-2 tie, so a shootout would decide things for the first time. Tied to two after five rounds, Jocelyn Lamoureux-Davidson would beat Canada's Shannon Zabados, then Mandy Rooney would stone Megan Acosta for the U.S.'s second gold medal in women's hockey, and its first since 1998. And again, Chris, between these two teams, as you said, the, the rest of the competition is catching up, but somehow it keeps getting closer between these two teams. Yeah, I mean, like, it's unbelievable. I think I... During the game this uh, this yesterday, they were talking about how many three two games they've had between three two games. Yeah, yeah. something like thirty five out of. Uh, I was going to ask if you, if you remembered. Yeah, here, here here's a number. Uh, at the close of that competition in 2018, Canada uh, Canada was leading in total goals twenty to nineteen. Well, so you, can't you know get they were ahead in medals four two, but yeah, yeah, they were ahead in medals four two, but twenty to nineteen. Was uh, you know so they were plus one over the uh, over the course of uh, of the uh, the tournaments uh, in its history. So uh, yeah, and uh, again shout out to uh, to the uh, women's team to uh, you know again a three two another three two win. Yeah, and uh, just a great hockey game, great hockey game. I did hear the numbers. It was like uh, I think uh, I think they drew uh, four and a half million viewers back home in Canada. And uh, one thing about, uh, you know, Chris, I was able to see that was a noontime match here. Right. And, uh, you know, we've been in, we've been able to enjoy hockey, you know, at, at night. At normal it's, times. Uh, you know, it's great. Yeah. At normal times. So, yeah. Nice I've been enjoying that. it. I've been glued to the TV. That's right. The people back home getting a little taste of uh, what we've been putting up with for, uh, for the last 20 odd years. Yeah, I don't feel bad for them having to stay up to 2 a.m. to watch a game, that's for sure. (laughs) But uh, there was one thing, Terry. First of all, thank you so much. That was a credible deep dive there. Um, um, Thanks so much. What I want to ask you, though, um, it seems after watching this year's Olympics so closely, I I realized that Canada had its fingers on almost every program in the Olympics, whether it was a member of the coaching staff, some players, um, you know, it just seemed like we were involved in like, for example, Craig Ramsey coaching Slovakia. We have guys yeah, play, yeah. like a lot of Canadian guys playing on various teams. Um, yeah. What I'd love to know if you could find that out for us, how many Canadians are involved in other, just take this year's Olympics, for example, and see where, right. how yeah. many, how many, you know, fingerprints we have on each team. Yeah. Well, again, you, you just saw what I, the, the, the nice uh, story I, I, did dig up again from South Korea. That was uh, Sarah Murray, who was uh, was uh, like Andy Murray's daughter. Yes, and uh, you know, so yeah, the tentacles are, are wide. You know, one thing I will say about this this year's Olympics, Chris, is uh, what I really enjoyed was the curling. Yeah, and uh, I haven't been able to watch the curling, you know, uh, on the regular for uh, twenty years, right? And um, you know, the thing I see in curling 
is we still have that attitude and curling that we have about hockey, yes. right? You know, what's like, why, why don't we win? And yeah. again, uh, a great job with Mark Kennedy. Uh, uh, and uh, I hope you talk to him again. I have a couple of questions I'll ask you that I, I would like to ask him. I was going yeah, to, I was going to mention uh, that earlier because you talked about the getting uh, pumped up to play a bronze medal game. I've been talking back and forth with Mark throughout the Olympics and after the Canada lost a devastating loss to Sweden in the semis. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. really, really tough, heartbreaking loss. Good, good moves though. Good move going for the win. Exactly. Right? It was exactly. aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I like that. Move. I like that call too. But uh, I spoke to Mark today and he said the team was in a good place mentally. Yeah. Um, he told yeah. them about, he lost the bronze medal match at the Olympics and he talked about how much he regretted not being right. as excited as he should have been for it because right. an yeah. Olympic medal is an Olympic medal. And, you know, and this, the sport of curling is a little bit similar to hockey, especially the women's side more. So Canada dominated curling for yeah, so long. For so long. And yeah. we could send probably 10 teams from Canada to compete at the Olympics, but these other teams, yeah. Sweden, Norway, uh, Japan, Great Britain, uh, the U S yeah. they've all caught up. They're, oh, they're all course. there. At yeah, this yeah. So, yeah. 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 They're all there, Terry. They're catching up. They're all there, man. Yeah. We're still, uh, we're still number one. We both know that, but uh, again, it takes a lot of, uh, a lot of work at a lot of levels. And uh, I guess that's the thing too, Chris, from, uh, from the local, from the local arenas all the way up to, uh, to the, uh, to the head of it, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, it's a team effort. And uh, so when, uh, you know, you're justifiably proud when, uh, when we're able to pull one off. Couldn't have said it any better. All right. Thanks, Terry. No problem at all, Ed. We'll uh, we'll see you next time. Back with uh, back with a movie of uh, of some sort, and uh, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it already. Sounds great. That was across the pond. All right, and that's a wrap. Thank you once again to our amazing sponsors, the China Hockey Group, AccessoryHouseGlobal.com, Wheel Hub Asia, The Big Bite Restaurant, Felix and Co, Psalm Sleep, and Yardley Brothers Craft Brewery. And of course, our head honcho here at Sunset Studio, Mr. Paul McLean. Folks, if you want to reach out, send in a question or a comment to acrossthepondhk.com or find us on social media at acrossthepondhk.